Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast with author John Peters is brought to you in part by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, $38, sponsor a child today, bring a child hope. And Compassion, they do it right. Every child that is on Compassion.com is being discipled in the Word of God, and over 150,000 children chose to follow Jesus in the last year alone. You will never regret this. $38 a month. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. The most trusted child development ministry in the world is Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast is John Peters. John is the author of the book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs. And you may not know who John is, but in May of 1989, John appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, back in the late 80s, Sports Illustrated, which is still obviously a a very respectable and very uh, well-known entity, but back in the late 80s, Sports Illustrated, being on the cover of that magazine, that was a gigantic deal. And I'm talking about for the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball and and college football, college basketball, it was a big deal to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And John Peters, a kid, high school pitcher, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He became the first high school baseball player ever to appear on the cover of SI. And it was a big title underneath the, the cover. It said Super Kid. So to those of you my age, maybe in their 40s, might remember that cover of Sports Illustrated. John actually, in high school broke tons of records, including the record of 53 consecutive wins by a high school pitcher in the four years that he pitched in high school. He went 54-1 and over his career. 54-1. and It's dominant. He went to Texas A&M, and then things started to derail from there. It, it, the career did not go the way John had thought or the way many people who follow baseball had thought. John went to Texas A&M, and then injuries and surgeries forced him to say goodbye to the game that he loves. And then it really went downhill quickly. Um, not only did he lose his, his father in the process, but he also really got caught up in a life of addiction. And this book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs, Finding Happiness in Life's Change-Ups, not only the book, but this podcast really um, brings to light an issue that many people suffer through, which is addiction. And John went even further. John did not I want to live. He was suffering from depression as well. And this book is really an eye-opener, I think, for a lot of people because John had it all. He had the athletic talent, the fame. He had the beautiful girlfriend. And then that dream was just shattered. And John struggled to find value, to find happiness. Uh, it even went as far as suicide, uh, this anger that he had, this bitterness, a failed marriage. So much had happened with John. And then God got a hold of him. And this story is is as vulnerable and as transparent and as honest as one that we've had on the podcast in some time. And you can just feel the tension in John's voice and in his answers that even though God has uh, grabbed a hold of him and he's still sober and has been able to maintain sobriety for a while now and obviously writing this book to help a lot of people, but there's still a lot of... uh, it's still a process, let's just say, for John to work through this. You can just tell. 
but I know with the Lord on his side that he'll he'll find um, he'll just find a happy ending. And that's the point with this book. He says, finding happiness in life's change-ups. And stay tuned. At the end of this podcast, we're going to tell you how you can win a copy of John's new book, autographed by John himself, When Life Grabs You by the Baseball. So stay tuned. At the end of this podcast, I'll tell you how you can win a copy of John's book. So without further ado, here he is, the author of the book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs, high school record-breaking pitcher from Texas, John Peters. John, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me, David. John, it's good to talk to you. I'm excited to hear your story. Uh, we were talking off-air beforehand about vulnerability and the importance of being vulnerable, telling your story, being transparent, all those sort of buzzwords that you hear nowadays. But besides the fact that they're buzzwords, they actually work. And uh, for you, I know that that was very therapeutic in writing your book, as we mentioned, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs. And yes, it's a baseball book, and we'll start with baseball. It has a stitching of a ball on the cover. It's a really neat cover there. So let's start with baseball before we go into uh, everything that happened and why you wrote the book in a minute. But when did when was the first time you picked up a baseball? When, when did baseball, what's your earliest memories of baseball? Uh, according to my mom, it was uh, when I was four years old. But what I can remember is when I was six years old, watching my brother play little league sports or little league baseball and that's all I wanted to do so it was like six years old I was already obsessed with the game and and I would ask my parents morning noon and night uh hey let's go play ball and so ever since I was six years old that's really all I ever wanted to do did you watch baseball too like were you obsessed with it from the point of playing and watching or was it more of just your personal enjoyment in playing the game yeah, I loved watching it as well. Um, I can remember on Saturdays when they would have the Fox game of the week, my father and I would watch whatever game it was every Saturday. Who were your heroes? Uh, Nolan Ryan was my big hero. Um, and any time he was pitching, uh, I was always watching. And then I would have the privilege we'd go down when he played for the Astros – I watched him several times uh, at the Dome back then. Okay. Yeah, the old Astrodome. That was that was quite the building. I know that for sure. It's now – it's now. Uh, no, I, is it still there, actually? I thought it was impounded, but I could be wrong. Is it still there, the Astrodome? Yeah. Yeah, it's still there. They're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with it. I think okay. they're going to make it some big retail, multi-use facility. Yeah, it was such a – I remember that building when it was – you know, and I remember I'm a kid. You and I are pretty much the same age, and being a kid in the '80s, watching uh, baseball in a big dome like that. And I remember when it was invented in the '60s, it was this new high tech place. Like, oh my gosh, there's a place to play baseball indoors on turf. It was such a, a unique spot to to play baseball. And you mentioned Nolan Ryan, and, and let's get into the book a little bit. I think in the journey um, of why not only why you write this book, but the fact that your hero Nolan Ryan actually endorsed it. And we'll talk about that in a second. But why write the book right now? What was the, the goal in writing this book when life grabs you by the baseballs and releasing it? Well, in uh, 2010, I got sober. And in late 2014, I had a tug at my heart to do more with the experiences 
that I've been through with my talents. And I knew exactly what God was telling me to do. But for some reason, as I guess as a good Christian, I just sat on the fence thinking, no, I don't think that's what what I'm going to do. <laughs> and he was basically telling me, hey, share your story and help people. And I always enjoyed doing that. But I thought, man, if I don't want to, I don't know, I'm scared to death what people are going to think and, you know, just being open with everything. Um, and so the tug at my heart continued for a good six months and it got stronger. The more I delayed it, the stronger it got. And then finally one day I said, God, I'm all in what you want me to do. And um, the next week a phone call came out of the blue to go speak at a university. So I did that. And it just kind of evolved into me journaling, into writing. And um, there were two reasons I wrote the book. One was to glorify Christ and what he's done in my life. And number two was to help others. And it's been a, I'm, I'm so glad I did it because it's really increased my faith in God because the, act, the sales activity has really been, it's been more than I thought. And, it's, and when I started, it was kind of like, okay, God, if you want to take this big, you can take it big. Hmm. If not, then it's not going to go. And it just seems like doors are opening and it's, it's like, wow, God can really do anything. Well, we, I can relate because <laughs> you and I are very much in a similar boat in, in terms of releasing a book. And, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'll ask you this personally, because I know when I was starting to share and be a little more vulnerable, if you will, about the story that I had, especially the story with my father, uh, I, I felt unqualified, I guess, to share my story thinking, well, who cares about me and my little story? I'm just a kid who grew up and upstate New York. And, you know, yeah, I had daddy issues like so many people do and, and, and things happen, but who cares? And then I started sharing it and realizing, well, wait a minute, a lot of people care because it's helped them heal and it's helped them know that they're not alone. Is that the sort of experience that you've gone through in writing this book and being open about your struggles? Yes, that that's exactly um, what I've gone through. And you know, because I've my whole life, I always lived in fear, and I was scared to just just be me and let people know who I was. But I can remember when people would be real with me, I could connect with them, and I can remember even people giving their testimonies at church, and they would cry and they would talk about little things, you know, drugs or what they had done. And other, and you know, some people would go, "Wow, I can't believe you did that." Well, I was sitting there going, "Man, I, I can relate." And it's it's it, it seems like once I said, "God, I'm all in," the fear went away. And I've connected with so many people that I never thought I'd connect with. You mentioned uh, Nolan Ryan, you know, the legendary Hall of Famer endorsing your book. And, and this is what he said. He said, John shares his struggles and disappointments and his desire to help other athletes overcome their challenges. Again, I think this is something we can relate on because Daryl Strawberry, who's my childhood hero, wrote the foreword to my book. And you got Nolan Ryan to endorse your book. Tell me about that and how that came about. 
I always looked up to Nolan and thought he was he was just a good old boy. You know, from Texas. Uh, you know, I think that was, and he played for the Astros, so I knew, you know, of him, and I saw I saw him play. In let's see, my junior and senior year in high school, I was presented the Nolan Ryan Award, and at that time, I was able to meet him. Hmm. Um, and I thought, wow, he's just a he's just a good old, good old boy here. And so, uh, when I wrote the book, I reached out to him, and he said, "Sure, I'll give you an endorsement." And it was very, uh, very. I was very honored that he would do that. And you know, because when I first, you know, back on this qualified, unqualified, I I always thought, yeah, it's my story, but this story is really nothing that important. Um, but as I wrote it, I, I, I really think that everybody has a story that someone needs to hear. And I think, and I love hearing people's story. And I think everybody has a story that's important. So it's not, I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted to make it more about, Hey, this is what God's done in my life. And if you're struggling here, then God can help you. Well, tell me about John Smoltz. He wrote the forward. He's also another Hall of Fame pitcher. It's a good name to have on the cover of your book, too, for sure. And John, I know, is a guy who's um, you know, had a long journey, and his faith in Christ is strong with him as well. Tell me about John and the relationship you have with him and, and having him be a part of your book and writing your forward. So, so as, as, it's, kind, it's kind of amazing how God's kind of put the pieces together here. Hmm. My best friend... I met seven years ago in a Kalachi factory and I happened to take my son for breakfast one morning. And instead of going to Kalachi factory, that was two blocks down the road. I went to one that was about three miles from the house. And I noticed this guy had this blue ring on. And so I, after when we were leaving, I said, sir, I'm sorry to interrupt your breakfast, but can you tell me what your ring is? And he said, that's the Atlanta Braves world series ring. And, I, and so I introduced myself, and he he said, my name's Scott Nether. He said, I know who you are. I, I used to watch you play. He said, here's my phone number. Call me sometime. So I reached back out to him about a week later, and we started talking weekly. Then we started talking daily, and we've developed this friendship that he knows everything about me. Well, as I'm writing the book, I'm watching somewhere. And Smoltz's testimony pops up. And I'm thinking, oh, why didn't I thank a John? Mm. And so I called my best friend, and I said, hey, do you know Smoltz? And he goes, yes. And so that's how that came about. Um, and I was, for, for Smoltz to spend <clears throat> two hours, three hours on the phone with me one night just talking, I was like, wow, he's, he's just a good old guy, too. And then as he read the book, he said, John, we have so many similarities. And it was kind of just a great fit um, and a great person to, to, you know, write the forward. And I'm blessed that he said yes. Yeah, he writes, uh, I'm reading from what John Smoltz wrote. Let John's story and the lessons he's learned encourage and motivate you as you pursue what brings you passion. And most of all, let his story remind you that neither dream successes or failures define you. That true happiness comes through trusting in and pursuing God's dreams for you. That's really great what he wrote there. We're talking to John Peters here 
on the Sports Spectrum podcast. His book, his new book is called When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs, Finding Happiness in Life's Change-Up. Hang on. At the end of this podcast, we're going to give away a copy of John's book to you. We'll tell you how to do that at the end of this podcast. John, I want to go back a little bit because in many ways, uh, you know, the where we are today is defined and somewhat by our past. Um, we don't have to be uh, living in it or or um, kind of caught up in what happens in the past, but so much of the past is what defines our future. And for you, baseball was that. And you were one of the greatest baseball, high school baseball pitchers that we've ever seen. So let's go to high school. And you begin to dominate the competition at a very young age, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And suddenly it's May of 1989. And you end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, Young people listening today might be like, yeah, well, it's a magazine. That's cool. I'm telling you, back then in 1989, when you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, that is a gigantic deal. Sports Illustrated was the number one sports publication around back then, and magazines were at their height in the 1980s. So take us through that and tell us about how that came about, the experience of being a high school kid. I mean, high school kids don't get on the cover of Sports Illustrated back Back then, and in many cases, still today, uh, it's the guys who we watch on TV. And all of a sudden, there's this giant, in all caps, super kid title on the magazine, and there you are. Tell us about that. So I had a lot of those same thoughts. I, my main thought was, okay, I'm a high school kid. I'm not that good. Why are you putting me on the cover of Sports Illustrated? <laughs> um, that was my first thought. But as the... Um, Record kind of came about my junior year. The record was thought to be 33. And so all the media, Sports Illustrated, everybody's down in Brenham. I win number 34. And the Sports Illustrated people tell me, hey, you're going to be on the cover. So we're going to try to get you on the cover this year. I said, okay. Didn't think really that much about it. And then the next week came out that – 33 really wasn't the record. It was it was 50, and Pete Rose had bumped an umpire that year, and Pete had bumped me off the cover. So I got that news all in two days when I was a junior. And so I thought, there's no way 16 more wins, there's no way I'll get the record. Um, but lo and behold, here we are at number 50, um, or number 49, or, or 50, and media's coming everywhere. Um, I, looking back on those days, it was, it was, I really enjoyed the people from the media, but I always thought, why are you here? I'm just not that good. And I, anytime I would see them, I was always fake. Um, I always put the good old boy face on making sure I didn't do anything wrong because I, I thought I had to be perfect because back then I, I had even seen where, professional athletes who who did something, you know, drinking or whatever they did, their names were smeared across the headlines. And that's what I was afraid of. I was like, if y'all really knew me, y'all wouldn't be here. Um, and it was during those times when it was a politically correct era where if I felt like they were getting too close to me, I would mention God. And it would always make things calm down. But at the same time, I mentioned God, but I didn't 
have a relationship with him. I was always trying to like fit someone else's God into my box and it just wasn't working. Um, but it was a great honor, but at the same time, it was a lot of, I was a lot, I was real fake and there was a lot of fear going on. So there's a couple things that I hear from this. First of all, you genuinely didn't think that you were a big deal. And I say that only because <laughs> high school kids all think that they're a big deal. First of all, I have a high school daughter or about to have a high school daughter here and they think they know everything. And yet you're, you're 54 and one, like there's clearly there's statistics to prove that you are a big deal in the sense of the baseball perspective. So you really struggled with thinking that and wondering why people were making a big deal out of you. That, that was a real struggle for you. Yeah. That, and that, that was a struggle from when I was eight years old because I was a bigger, stronger kid. And back then I thought I was fat. And then I, then I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I fit in. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good looking enough. And it just kept on and on. Um, and I always, I found a lot of happiness. When I was on the baseball field, it was kind of like my happy place. Because I knew, you know, I, I guess I was comfortable with that. But outside of the baseball field, it, I, there wasn't much comfort. There wasn't much peace in my heart, a lot of anger, a lot of, uh, you know, my temper was terrible outside of the field, but yet no one knew that except for the people I was really close to. Um, so yeah. And and I, I think back on those days, I think, okay, I'm on the cover of sports illustrated and I don't feel good enough or that's just crazy. But that was the truth. Um, I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to live back then. We'll get back to our conversation with John Peters in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Compassion International, our sponsors here on the podcast. We're so grateful to have them be a part of what we're doing here at Sports Spectrum. And we're grateful to be a part of what they're doing with Compassion International and bringing hope to children all across the world, one child at a time. Compassion sponsors like you and like me, because my wife, my daughter, and myself, we sponsor a 13-year-old boy from Haiti. But Compassion sponsors all around the world are helping over 1.8 million children in 25 countries. And yet, it's never larger than just one child at a time, one day at a time, one sponsor at a time. And this is where you can come in and help. $38 a month, you can make a difference in a child's life by sponsoring a child from Compassion. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. I promise you, you won't regret this $38 that you spend. It's the best $38 that you will invest every single month with Compassion, the most trusted child development ministry in the world. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Now back to our conversation with John Peters here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. I wonder about your faith, too, because you mentioned how you would just say the name God and that was okay. And everybody kind of, it covered up, I guess, um, any un, uncomfortable situation for you or just kind of made things at ease, just saying the name God. Did you have a relationship with God or, or kind of maybe explain what you thought God and who you thought God was back growing up? Certainly, Texas is an area that is 
a faith-based area in many ways. So the word God has probably used a lot. I wonder for you what it was like growing up and where faith fell into that component. We So growing up, we always went to church every Sunday. And I was... I was puzzled. I was confused because I would see people act one way in church, and then outside I would see them act in different way. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, you say you say God's forgiving, okay, but you keep doing the same thing. I guess He just keeps forgiving you, and you know, and God's loving. Well, I don't see it loving on anybody, so it was real cloudy. Um. And, you know, looking back on those days, baseball, baseball was my God. My girlfriend was my God. If things were going good baseball and girlfriend-wise, I was happy. But if my girlfriend and I got into a little tiff, then I wasn't happy. Um, I knew there was a God, but I didn't have a personal relationship with, with God at all. Hmm. So on the surface, though, obviously looking back, you can see the change. But when you're going through it, at least on the surface, things seem to be going great. You mentioned the girlfriend. We talk about 54 and one career record. You're the you're the high school stud athlete. You know the stud pitcher. And I wonder at that point, was there a doubt ever in your mind that you were going to be pitching in the major leagues? Because you talk about baseball being a god. Did you have any doubt in your mind that? you were destined to be the next Nolan Ryan, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought, I really thought I was not good enough because my sophomore year in high school, I was throwing 89, 90. And then I had an arm injury and I was lucky to hit 86, 87, my junior and senior year. So I, I always thought I, I just don't throw hard enough. Hmm. Um, and then I would see other, like, college athletes. And I was like, wow, I, I don't measure up. Um, and even though that was my dream to play in the major league, it was kind of a, I guess, a realistic thought that, John, this didn't happen. I don't, I'm not good enough. Um, that's how I always felt about myself. You end up going to Texas A&M, though. I mean, so that's not too shabby, going to college at a big university like that. Take us through getting to Texas A&M, and I know things did not go your way, and in many ways that baseball dream became a nightmare in the sense of what happened. Tell us about coming to Texas A&M, and then you know, take us through what exactly transpired and how baseball uh, didn't exactly work out. So, so I went to Texas A&M, and the, the first day when I, was, when I walked out on the field, there was a – pitcher thrown in the bullpen and he was all herky-jerky and the ball was moving but he's throwing in the 90s and my first thought when I got on the field was I'm not good enough why am I here and then I got injured every fall and so during the springs I would be doing rehab so I actually never pitched that A&M in a in a real game but when I got injured it was kind of a relief to me uh, from the standpoint of saying, well, now I can blame it on injuries and I'm not going to have to blame it on my performance. So it was kind of like a, 
like an escape. Hmm. Um, and then after my fourth surgery, I said, okay, that's enough. And actually during my freshman years, when the first time that I really drank alcohol, um, and I remember the first time I put it in my body, it was like, wow, this is good stuff here. And it was like I was, I had confidence. I could talk to anybody. I could do anything. And so it became just a habit on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights just to see how much I could drink. And I wasn't drinking for the enjoyment to, you know, of how it tasted or anything. I was drinking to get high. And I, I loved to, to get buzzed because I felt like I was somebody then. Everybody at A&M or, or around even Texas, they would see me and they'd be like, oh, that's the baseball guy. But once baseball was over, I had kind of lost my identity and I was trying to fit in. And so I real I, I sought out alcohol, relationships, exercise, food, all these temporary things. And they worked for a period of time, but then eventually they petered out as well. And so you're going through all of this and you're 20 years old and baseball is just about done. And then your dad gets sick and he passes. And I, I got to imagine where you were. You wrote in your book, you said, when my dad took his final breath, I felt as though I'd lost my life too. I wonder just for you, take us through those emotions because you're, you're going through so much, you know, being the highest of highs, at least from a outward appearance of what you're accomplishing as a baseball player. You come to Texas A&M and it kind of all falls apart as far as the injuries. Then you start drinking, then you start medicating yourself, self-medicating, and now this happens with your father. So take us through that emotion and about that time of life and, and what it was, just what it was like walking through that at a young age, losing your father. Dad was, dad and mom were both my biggest cheerleaders. But dad, I felt like dad really got me. He, he knew who I was, and even though we didn't have real long, in-depth talks, I, I felt like he knew what I was going through. Um, you know, because he was kind of a party animal, um, and he was never judgmental. He was always very, very supportive, and I can remember that um, I happened to be taking summer school that year, um, and Dad. Uh, first got sick and I, re I remember going to the doctor with him and they finally <laughs> figuring out what the problem was that he had a, a big mass uh, around his colon area and we didn't even hardly say much to each other but it was like we got each other um, and I spent a lot of time with him after that and the day that he passed I, I never will forget there a tear ran down his came out of his left eye and the hospice lady looked at us and just kind of shook her head. And I thought, yeah, dad just saw Jesus. That's what that's about. And it was kind of a peaceful time because I knew, Hey dad, I'll see you later. I know I will. Um, but at the same time I was struggling with this God relationship in my life. So when I lost him, it was, it was a challenging time because I felt like I'd kind of lost my best friend. Hmm. And that's such a void, I wonder, you know, 
you and I have talked a lot about just through social media, you know, about my story and my dad and my dad's still, still here. And there were many days when I thought he wouldn't be, I wonder for you, what was that void like and how did you fill it? If, if, if any way that you possibly filled it after he was gone, I mean, you're such, you're so young at that point, take us through, cause it's kind of cloudy a little bit there. I think what happens basically from the time you lose your, your father all the way until 2010, you mentioned you got sober and we'll tell you, we'll tell that story in a second, but take us through those years there of your twenties and your thirties. So, so, um, after I didn't go to, I coached a year at McMurray university in Adelaide with my former high school coach. And of anyone in the world, he, had the most impact on me. He was my freshman and so, uh, high school coach my freshman and sophomore year. And Coach Driggers was a man that he walked just like he talked. And at times I didn't like what he had to say, but I, I really respected him. And so I went and worked for him for a year. And looking back on that, I went, I probably went to go work for him because he was a a really good father figure. Um, but still at the time I was, you know, it was like I was never happy with anything. I was always looking for the next thing to make me happy. And I thought, well, coaching, I'm not making any money. Okay, let's go do insurance. And so I got in the insurance field, started making a lot of money. That's when life really got terrible. Um, I'd gotten married and then I'd really started drinking and we got, uh, during that time we got divorced. So it was kind of like, okay, money's not the answer. Um, but I just kept seeking things. And then finally I said, okay, I guess alcohol is the answer. Um, but there were numerous, many times when I would go to sleep during the twenties or during my twenties and thirties. And I would say, God, just take me away. I, I'm worthless. I don't want to be here. And, for some reason, I was, he wasn't ready for that because I'd wake up in the morning and, and basically I'd do the same thing over and over again until finally it was like, okay, enough's enough. Tell me about that rock bottom moment. I know for so many people, they have those moments growing up with a dad who was an addict. I heard that term quite often, rock bottom. For you, John, take us to that moment and when you felt like there was just nothing left and that was, that was rock bottom for you. That was March, March 27, 2010. I was sitting in the house at two 30 at night in a recliner at a 3,500 square foot home. That was empty. Uh, failed marriage, two kids that were gone and I was doing nothing with my life besides drinking vodka. And I, I was angry with God because I was, I was like, God, why am I here? Why, why am I in this place? Why have I lost my marriage? You know, I, I never, it never occurred to me that, hey, John, why don't you look at yourself and why don't you change, you know, instead of pointing fingers at everybody. And that night I was at the lowest and I wanted to die so bad, but at the same time I was, scared to death of how to do it. Hmm. Um, and I heard 
a voice that said, it's okay, just tell somebody. And for the first time that I can recall, I picked my phone up and I reached out for help and started calling people. Many people didn't answer, but my boss answered at that time. Um, and he said, hey, what's going on? And I said, boss, I want to die. He said, well, I'm on my way over. And when he came over, um, we were talking, and I said, I can't stop drinking. And he said, John, I didn't even know you drank. And so it was kind of like I was hiding, mm. you know, I was hiding everything. Um, but once I told him, it was like I started getting a lot of freedom. It was like, because before that, I, was, I didn't want, I was very fearful of what people would say. You know, oh, oh, he's an alcoholic, he's a loser, you know, and on and on in my mind. But as soon as I told him, it was like, okay, it's out in the bag, it's out of the bag. He wasn't judgmental at all. He was very loving. He said, okay, we'll, we'll get some help. Let's go. And so it's kind of, the life kind of started, I would say, or restarted March 27, 2010. We're talking to John Peters here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, author of the book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs, Finding Happiness in Life's Change-Ups. You've mentioned this a few times. I'm just quoting. I've written it down four or five times you've mentioned it from the time you were in high school to even that day in 2010. You said, I'm not good enough. Why am I here? Where did that stem from? Because you said that came from being in high school when you're the best pitcher maybe in the nation. Uh, certainly by records and being 54 and one and all the way, even to the point where you're getting married and having kids and you're at that rock bottom point and you still feel like you're not good and good enough. And you're wondering why you're even here now that you're sober. And we'll talk about how you got sober in a second. Where do you think that comes? Where did that come from? Looking, looking back on it now, it's, I had no, personal relationship with Christ. And now that I do, those thoughts are gone. Hmm. And, you know, and it's, it, it, to me, to me, even sometimes that sounds crazy, but, but that happened. You know, and I always thought I could do things on my own. Um, I thought it was kind of a, I don't know, a learned trait that real men, don't seek help. Real men don't cry. Well, I, I kind of adopted that. But there were a lot of times when I knew I needed help, but I was scared to death to ask. You know, here I am, cover boy of Sports Illustrated. I, I can't let anybody know this. Um, and it was just the, this. A good friend of mine says we're only as as sick as our deepest darkest secrets. Hmm. And I didn't want anyone to know any of my secrets. And the, it, it was like the more I held it in, the more it hurt. And the more I thought, man, I'm, I'm a really terrible guy. I'm worthless, you know, whatever. But it, I th it all stems from I had no relationship with Christ. I was very John-centered instead of being God-centered. Staying sober is very hard. Um, for many years, that was my simple prayer for my dad was just God help him get sober for you. I know we talked about how Christ was really the center of it, but how else with the Lord's help, were you able to stay sober 
you mentioned you're sober today. Um, how long have you been sober and how have you been able to stay sober? So, so I've been sober almost uh, eight years. I, I was first sober March 27, 2010, then I had a relapse. Then uh, for my 40th birthday, September 7, 2010, I went back to rehab. Um, and the way I stay sober is I every morning I wake up and I write down on a gratitude list what I'm grateful for. And if, if I can stay grateful, then it seems like life's really good. Um, I seek out a lot of people to help, and I pray every day, God, send someone into my life today that I can help, whether it's just uh, talk to them, whether it's a handshake, whether it's another alcoholic or what. And and I stay, I try to stay really God-centered. Um, you know, I talk to God throughout the day. I pray a lot. That's, you know, it's it's been a total life change. Because for me to say, I talk to God a lot. I read a lot of devotionals. If I had, a, I mean, 15 years ago, that wasn't ever going to happen. But the change has been good, and it's been one like, wow, this is. I finally got in peace and freedom and happiness. And for so long, I was trying to find that my strength in other things. Whereas when I finally surrendered and said, okay, God, you got it all. I'm in the peace and the freedom and the strength and all that has come from him. And it hadn't gone away like the other things have. Tell us now about writing this book having a platform to help others, speaking, encouragement into others. What kind of reaction have you seen from people not only reading your book, but hearing you speak and hearing your story and, and knowing how how it's been able to help a lot of people? I I didn't think <clears throat> I didn't think it would be this much attraction. <laughs> but um <laughs> But but like I said earlier, if God wants to take it big, he can do it. And there's been a lot of people reach out asking me to speak. And then there's also been some notes that I've gotten. And the first week, a lady sent me a note and said, John, I read your book. I'm now going to La Hacienda. And that was a rehab center that I went to. And when I got that email, um, it just it fills my heart with a lot of uh, gratitude and a lot of joy to see or to hear people getting real. Because um, I, I hurt and struggled so long because I just kept everything in. And now it's kind of like life happening. Now when people are real with each other, I start connecting with them. Friendships are, are getting, you know, so much better. Um, because, you know, you just never know what someone's going through. And that's been that's been the biggest thing. And there's been times when I've just sat back and said, wow, I'm so sorry, God, that I doubted you. Because I, I, I didn't, you know, I always tried to run everything my, on my own. And it never worked. And when I sit back and just let God take control, it's like, wow, I'm, I, I should have never doubted it. <laughs> What are you learning from him now as we close down here on the podcast? We're talking to John Peters. His book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseball, is finding happiness in life's change-ups. 
John, what are you learning from the Lord right now? What has He been teaching you? In the one, the one big thing is when I take action and I keep walking ahead, seeking His will, the fear is gone. Um, it's it's like I have no fear now, and. You know, a big thing that's always on my heart is it doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going to do. God loves you no matter what. And he continues to show me that on a daily basis. Um, and it's just I was unwilling to accept it a long time ago. And it's been, you know, for me to surrender and just let go and kind of be like, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to try to do my part. That wasn't me. A long time ago, but it's so freeing now to know, hey, I'm just going to do my part. I know God's got got my back here. So, uh, you know, I just, I pray every day, God, just help me to continue seeking your will because I know how I can be. I don't want to get in the self-centeredness like I, and I don't want an egotistical, you know, part of me coming out. I want it to be all about God. Um, so I continue to, pray about it and I talk to I have a couple people that I talk to on a daily basis and we share I share things with them like hey because they know I don't want to get to that egotistical part yeah I want it to be all about God so we I have a lot of accountability partners now that's so big I know that's such an important thing not just for people who struggle with any kind of addiction it's just important for all believers to have accountability partners people you can talk to be vulnerable with because when we come to Christ and when people hear your story, John, I think people think, okay, everything's good now, everything's great. And yes, Christ fills us with this joy and this peace, but the struggles, the human struggles, the flesh struggles are still there. Uh, and I think that's why it's so important to have accountability partners. And, and I'm so grateful for you, man. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being vulnerable with with uh, telling us about that. And I wish you nothing but the best. His book, John Peters, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs. Pick up a copy everywhere. It's on Amazon. I know that. And you can go to johnpeters.org and find out more information about John's journey. And certainly consider having him come to speak at your function, your church, wherever. I know he's going around the country and sharing his story and, and making an impact. And appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for being here on the podcast. And hopefully we'll meet in person someday. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you very much, Jason. And we do thank John Peters, author of the book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. You can reach John over at his website, johnpeters.org. John is based in the Houston, Texas area and is available. He's been doing a lot of speaking, so if you wanted to have John come and speak uh, at your function, you can contact him at johnpeters.org. And also... This is your chance right now to win a copy of John's book. So John has been gracious enough to give us a couple copies, actually, of his book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs. He signed the book. I'm holding it in my hand. You can hear me flipping through the pages right now. This copy can be yours. Here's all you have to do. Go to Apple iTunes Podcasts. Click on the Sports Spectrum Podcast icon and leave a review. So go leave a review and mention the name John Peters, this episode, in that review. Then email me, jason at sportspectrum.com, and let me know that you left a review. And from there, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a copy of John's book, When Life Grabs You by the Baseballs. 
As simple as that. Leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, then email me, jason at sportspectrum.com, and you'll be entered to win a copy of John's new book. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Also, a special thanks to our sponsors at Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash SportsSpectrum, $38 a month. Save a child from poverty. Give them an opportunity to experience a hope, a love, a peace. Get them training, educational training, food, all of that. That's what $38 a month does. Go to Compassion.com slash SportsSpectrum and sponsor a child today in Jesus' name. I promise you, you will not regret it. Thanks so much for joining us here in the podcast. We appreciate you. We hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next time right here at Sports Spectrum.